This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everybody, Jeff Kasuf coming at you with another episode of Kicking Back. This week, I'm talking to Ali Wagner, the voice of women's soccer in the U.S. You know her from calling NWSL and U.S. Women's National Team games, among many other things. Uh, Ex-U.S. Women's National Team player, ex-pro, and one of the, the brightest tactical minds that is is in the women's game. And, and as we talk about, uh, she's watching a lot more than that, analyzing a lot more than that, and, and working on more than that. So exciting chat with her about the Challenge Cup, the NWSL Challenge Cup that just ended, which saw the Houston Dash win. Some some discussion about tactics and trends there. Some discussion about her broadcasting career, which started essentially from nothing, as she describes it, and very quickly saw her calling World Cup games. And some of the, the wider trends within the women's game and, and maybe where we're going and where we'd like to, to see things go. So exciting chat here. Really looking forward to bringing this to you. As always, please go ahead and rate and review this podcast. Subscribe to it. The more that you do that, the more positive reviews you give, the more it helps us get these stories out there to people just like you. So it's a huge help for you to do that for us. So the next episode here of Kicking Back with Ali Wagner is coming up just after this break with a word from our advertisers. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Jeff Kasuf here on the Kicking Back podcast. Really excited to have our latest guest here, Ali Wagner. She is a broadcaster, as you might know her now, 131 caps with the U.S. Women's National Team, many different pro pro teams, um, two-time Olympic gold medalist. Ali, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. Finally. I was wondering <laughs> that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, happy to have you. And, and I think a, a cool time and a good time, obviously. Um, you know, you're coming off of doing some pregame, postgame, calling the opener of this Challenge Cup. And, you know, I think it was fun. It was obviously, you know, first soccer, uh, first sports really back in the U.S. And, and I think we got – you know, a pretty good tournament. I was wondering, and maybe I wanted to start there of just, you know, your impressions of, of the tournament, anything, you know, Houston wins it, obviously, which I think, you know, everybody had, you know, saw coming, right. But, um, sure. you know, what, what was a lasting impression for you? Maybe you had, you know, a slightly different view being sort of on the inside, I guess. You know, yeah, I, I wasn't sure what to anticipate, right? We saw when Bundesliga started up and we saw when EPL started up, there were a lot of rough games in those opening matches, a lot of heavy touches, a lot of fatigue, you know. So with the women's teams, NWSL specifically, I just didn't know what kind of level to anticipate because, as we know, the men play more than the women do anyways. And I was largely impressed with how each team evolved within the course of the tournament. I thought a lot of the opening games were uh, struggles in terms of uh, maybe – 
efficiency with passing and, and those first touches. And, and like I said, they're and probably the worst possible place to actually pull out this tournament. They're at altitude on turf in the heat, you know, and it's, that's no disrespect to Utah and Deloitte Hansen. It's just, those were tough conditions for these players. So I thought in the opening stages of the tournament, um, we did have exciting games, but I don't think the quality was quite uh, what we have seen out of the NWSL. But then as it progressed, I did think that the, the level of play picked up. And, and as you alluded to, I mean, massive surprise, he was going to end up in that final. All the talk was about North Carolina. And that's always dangerous for a team, for a squad, for a club, when you do have that big target on your back, when you're rolling through conditions um, seemingly effortlessly. Um, so it was a big surprise, but I think it was great for the league. I think it was great for those players. And at the end, you could see that, this was a group that believed in itself and really, I think, came together in a way that they hadn't in the past because Houston had been a massive disappointment, I would say, year after year after year. So it was pretty cool to watch some of those players actually get on the winning end of something. Yeah, I mean, Houston, huge surprise, like you said. I, th I think, um, you know, certainly had a rough patch in that middle of the tournament where I think most teams did it felt like with fatigue and, and maybe even you know physical and mental from what they told us that um, I thought the quality of play really kind of dipped in that third fourth sort of round of games and then um, you know I think got a little bit better I mean Houston was fun to watch and I, I don't think I've ever in my life said that and I, like you know I mean respect to them but I, I think they've kind of admitted that too right so um, you know no, I, I think that that's a, a really good point and Maybe Houston, the only time they were fun to watch was when in the late stages of a few years ago when they had Denise O'Sullivan and they'd sub her on in like the last 15 and 10 minutes of a game, suddenly they'd come to life, shockingly. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, I, I thought that the, the reason Houston ended up evolving in this tournament, when you look at the way they started, they just were able to catch teams on the break, right? And that's something that you go into a tournament like this, you know you're going to have an advantage. And then, as you said, fatigue sets in. And they were incredibly energetic, youthful, and a bit naive in their press in the early stages. And I think it did wear them out. Every team was worn out, but I think Houston in particular got beaten by that. And so as they figured out how to manage their press, the team took on a, a new identity. The insertion of Nichelle Prince and Brie Vasali, um, you know, spoke about them a ton in the pre and post match because I thought they were incredibly impactful for helping Houston actually get into that final and ultimately, you know, raise the cup. So... I look at James Clarkson and, and I know if we can, we can go into managers and stuff, but I look at what he did and, and I give him a lot of credit. I mean, there was two schools of thought coming in. One is, do you take your teams and do you build for what eventually will be a normal season? Do you start to identify the talent that you want to keep on the, and on your roster players that you need to bring in ultimately uh, you know, or, and develop an identity with the, with the idea that you're going to probably suffer through, through the tournament and, and not come out on the winning end. Or the other school of thought is, is figure out a way to win and develop winners out of a group of players that really hadn't been winners at this level. Um, and so I give a lot of credit to James Clarkson. He knew what his goal was for this group, right? And I think he did, he made the changes that had to occur along the way to really uh, highlight certain personalities of Rachel Daly, right? Look at uh, Christy Mewis probably playing her best game. And you've got to give a lot of credit or her uh, the best game we've seen her play in the NWSL. 
Um, you've got to live a, give a lot of credit to Clarkson and how he's letting those individual personalities shine, but also taking the, the clay that he was given with the players that he had on hand and figured out the best way to utilize them as a group. So I think, I think looking at the managers and how they handled each of their units in this tournament is kind of a fascinating topic as well. Yeah, you make a great point on, on identity there too, because I think there, we, we heard a lot from players, dash players on, uh, you know, wanting to create a winning culture, essentially. I mean, it, the identity for Houston was maybe less so tactical, which is maybe that takes away from him, but more so instilling some winning mentality in a, in a place, as we said, that, you know, didn't have that. So, um, well, this is fun. This is cool. This is what I wanted to, I think people appreciate, you know, your insight and, and you know, from tactics to, to you know, the, the mentality side. And um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you know, some of the, the tactical stuff. I thought we saw some interesting things at, at this tournament and maybe it opens up into, you know, the sport at large, but Utah with a three back was the only team to do that. Obviously, I think that got a lot of, of tactical attention. Um, I was intrigued a lot by the midfields that we saw with the shape that they took. And there was a little bit of freedom teams like Chicago and Portland. Um, I, I kind of got shot down in a post game press conference asking that something looked like a box, but I swear there was some mimicking of, of box midfields, like in small stretches of games. I don't know if that's, yeah. You know, it's stealing from from North Carolina a bit, which has obviously worked. But what what stood out to you, maybe at a wider sort of tactical trend level from this tournament? Well, I, I think a couple things, but I want to go back to what you hit on, uh, which was the three back, and and Utah utilizing that. Remember, we can go back to Jill Ellis trying to bring that to the U.S. Women's National Team using utilizing Ali Long as a center back. That didn't go so well. Ultimately, I do think the U.S. could easily play a three-back system. Um, the center backs, they have depth in that position. They've got players and get up and down the flank and the wing back. So it's not a bad idea for the U.S., but I digress. Um, going back to the NWSL units, I thought it was fascinating when I talked to Paul Riley before we did the opening match, and I don't know if it, this got a lot of attention, but I did mention in the broadcast that he, he initially was planning on implementing a three-back, like uh, mimicking Sheffield United's three-back system and how they've been so successful in the EPL this year. And I think it's a fascinating one um, if he does go that route because, you know, that group has been so linked with, as you said, their four-man midfield, their box midfield, their 4-2-2-2-2 four, 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 two, 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 ultimately really narrow, you know, on paper, ultimately not narrow in uh, – and how they tactically attack opponents. But them in a three-back would be fascinating and would be pretty awesome to see. You know, they've got the players that can run a flank, and, and a Jalen Hinkle, a Kristen Hamilton perhaps, I think would slide really well into one of those wing-back positions. Um, even Dunn, obviously, as much as she might not want to be there. But now if you can bring Malay along, and she can slot in in the center of midfield. If she proves to be, a, you know, a, an attacking mid that can perform at that level, then you do have freedom to move done. So I, I just think the three-back is something that's going to be an evolution we're going to see. We did see it with Utah. I, I think that they got burned against Houston. That was obvious, conceding three goals, because I don't think Jan's daughter is the answer for them in the three-back. You know, and, and ultimately I think that they figured that out throughout the course of the tournament. But – I liked, I liked that he was willing to try that with Kelly O'Hare in the squad. You know, if she can get fully fit, you've got players in the wings that can, can run the flank. Uh, so I do like it. Um, 
I think it's important for the women's game to, to start to have different looks, to be creative, to be innovative. And I, if we want to continue to put the women's game on level with the men's game, you know, those things have to occur and we do have to evolve. So I think it was, I think it is really important um, that these coaches start to think outside the box with their personnel. Yeah, well, you got more out of out of Paul Riley than I did then, because he teased the idea to me pre-tournament that he was playing with a new system, but he didn't say it was going to be the three-back. So I think you're right. That did go under the radar, because I don't remember that. Maybe I was just, I mean, I'm usually a little too distracted. I was you to death with my, with my <laughs> on air. <laughs> so. No, no, I must have missed that. But that that's awesome. That's uh, I, I think I'd be curious to see if that, you know, I, I know one of the things – he said to me that, you know, wasn't the spec, you know, the specificity of, of a three back, but he just didn't have the time to do what he wanted to do right. with this tournament setup. So we'll see if that maybe comes in, in 2021 um, or, or who knows, maybe we'll see some games later this year. I don't know. It's, it's the big question, but um, well, let's talk about your, your broadcasting career. Cause I think some of this, this dovetails into, you know, some of what you just mentioned, um, you know, I'll, I'll do the brief version of, of the resume for our listeners who maybe aren't aware. Um, you know, maybe the, the more recent stuff, obviously, uh, calling the, the Women's World Cup 2019 as, as lead analyst, um, essentially following the U.S. team and, and, um, and, you know, calling the Men's World Cup in 2018 as well, um, which, as Fox said, first woman to do that in U.S. English language TV history. Um, and I think you've told this story a little bit, the brief version. You, you basically started out just trying to get reps at Santa Clara, right? At your alma mater, just, just trying to get some, some tape. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's funny enough. And this is, this is good anecdote for, I think a lot of players that are playing now. I mean, back in the day when I was playing for the national team, doing double duty with Santa Clara university, I, I was asked to broadcast some games and be an analyst for, I think it was the WCC at the time, but it was a, it was basically a collegiate league uh, broadcast. And I, I was kind of shocked and I said, no, you know, I, 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 what do you mean? Like I'm focusing on my craft right now. And I said no to that. And in hindsight, I definitely should not have said no. I should have given it a go and made a run at it just because of what I'm going to tell you. And that is, it came to, I was just, I stepped away from the game a lot after my, I ended my career playing career, but once I got back into it, you know, it, it's always been like such a deep love for me that it was easy. And I started, I always comment when I'm watching games. And so my family always said, you've got to do this. And I eventually just said, yeah, maybe I'll go try it. I don't know why. I, I don't know why I listened to them. I never listened to them. Um, so I called up the WCC and they would not let me, or they said, no, they didn't, they wouldn't uh, bring me in or give me a shot. They wanted to hear a reel first. And I believe it was the same thing with Pac-12. And so that's where, how I ended up at Santa Clara University, just doing, doing some games off the internet. And, and it was David Gentili, the local broadcaster there, that did call them with me. He was kind enough to humor me. Um, so that ultimately made me realize I enjoyed it. And I, was, I really got a shot at the Women's World Cup because – Brandy had kind of wanted to do it and they said no they were going you know with a different route and that happens all the time in broadcasting you know and so she connected me with Michael Cohen who introduced me to David Neal 
after some convincing, by the way, I he was thinking about making me go play by play. And I said, no, that's not my shtick, you know, <laughs> I'm obsessed with breaking down plays. And, and I must've convinced him in the phone call because five minutes later he called back and said, you've got a meeting with David Neal. And a month later, I've never really called a game. I'm flying down to LA and doing a, a tryout for the 2015 women's world cup uh, alongside, uh, Oh, Gosh, I'm drawing a blank right now. It'll come to me. Um, but we're just doing basically recalling a game in a booth. And it's already been played. It was a U.S. Women's National Team game. And we're just recalling it. And I'll never forget, they wanted me to run through replays. And I'd never done replays, right? I've only done an internet stream. There's no replays. <laughs> and I was trying to talk through it. And I'm going, wait a second. I'm lagging behind what we're seeing visually. And it was, it, it, it made me pause because I went, is that the right thing? Like, it was just so unfamiliar to me, the way that TV worked at that point and how to do replays and how, how to do highlights. Um, it was all very foreign. And, but then once I realized, yeah, that's right. That's exactly how it goes. It felt very natural ultimately. And, and so David Neal really uh, gave me the shot and threw me on team two um, for the 2015 World Cup. So I loved it. And funny enough, I was going to be, I was so excited. I had had my triplets. They're about two years old. This is the first time I was really going to leave the house, to be fair. <laughs> okay. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to go to Canada. I'm going to get some sleep. I might have a beverage, you know, an adult <laughs> beverage. And one month before I go, I find out I'm pregnant with my daughter. So <laughs> all my hopes and dreams. <laughs> They were, of course, lifted up into the sky, and I was so excited with my daughter, but now I couldn't go enjoy myself the way I was anticipating. So that was, uh, that was my 2015, and I was mostly full of morning sickness all day long for that tournament. <laughs> my broadcast partner, I'll have you know, this is like the, with broadcasting, you, you got to have some respect. You can't eat garlic the night before. You can't bring onions into the booth. Justin Kutcher did none of the above. He consistently ate shawarma just to mess with me. And that is not <laughs> due to a pregnant woman that is suffering from morning sickness. Oh, man. Well, <laughs> that's, that's tough. Yeah, no, I, that's, that's you quite know, a bit. Right? With your I know. Yeah, yeah. We're, we've got a, a couple of weeks, hopefully, you know, hopefully uh, not while we're recording this or anything. But, uh, um, well, the, I mean, I think a lot, a lot in there that's, I think, great lessons for, for everybody, for trying to break into the field, for players looking to, you know, potentially do, look at what they're doing after, uh, after their playing career. Um, I, I mean, there's, there's so much that we could talk about. I think one of the things I definitely want to get to with you, though, is um, you, you know, I, I did that intro of you called Men's World Cup a year later, Women's World Cup. You've called many, many other things. You, you know, I think many on this will know you as, you know, the voice of the, the NWSL in some ways, analyst. Um, but how does that experience um, of, of how much you're watching? Because I think you're probably watching a lot of soccer is my guess. I know we were at the NWSL final last year. You had the Tottenham game on and you were <laughs> yelling at the TV and, and you know, I mean, how does that help you as a broadcaster to know, you know, look, I'm watching NWSL, but I'm also watching the Premier League. And I don't know, maybe you're watching the USL or something even, but you can kind of triangulate these things for trends and, and everything else. You know, I, first of all, never bring up me watching Tottenham ever again. 
wonderful experience for me. So, um, no, I think it's massive. I really do. I, I would tell you that I think the way that I've had to learn the game and process and become an analyst and a scout, if you will, uh, has really been uh, crafted and created by a lot of, by what I've learned from the men's game. And so if I stayed in my lane in the women's game, what I would know is what I was taught when I played, which to be fair, wasn't a ton. Um, It's very different from the way it is now. And I think that we didn't pay homage on the women's side in terms of analyzing the tactics and, and perhaps the, the way player profiles impacted uh, style of play. I just don't think we did that on the women's game. I really don't. And I don't, I'm not entirely sure why, but what I would say to your point is that by doing watching the men's game, becoming so engrossed in it, that, I mean, I love both, I love both men's and women's football um, for many different reasons. And so to, to become as obsessed with the men's game as I did, I had, your course are learning a ton. Like when you look at the Sheffield, for instance, this year, look at Sheffield United's tech, the way that they've set up. We hadn't seen that. You know, you talk about Pep when he would invert his fullbacks, they would, they would advance, right? With the way that um, he drops his center mitts. Like he was, he's always the one that everyone looks to in terms of the tactical evolution of the game. But Sheffield United, what they did in, in the EPL this year was, was something that other teams weren't doing. So you, you start to identify, um, of course, trends of the modern game and the evolution of it on the men's and women's side. Um, and you, but you start to appreciate, I think, uh, the, the tactical battles. As much as it comes down to the players, I am fascinated by what coaches ultimately stress to their team before they go out on the pitch, the way that they're going to build, the way they're going to break the first line, the second line, the way they're going to get into, as Rory, he likes to call it zone 14. I, that was actually, he's going to, you know, um, give me SHIT for this, but I, I was like, zone 14. He's like, uh, I can't believe you don't know that. That's like such a Dutch terminology. And I'm going, I don't, I teach myself the game. I don't listen, to, you know, I'm not listening to coaching education as much as maybe I should, right? But you're learning from watching and you're studying opponents, you're studying teams, you're studying style of play. And I, I'm obsessed with it. I love it. It's exhausting. And so it is, to your point, it's very hard to be current on what's happening in Champions League, what's happening in EPL, what's happening in Bundesliga, what's happening in La Liga, if you go down the list, Syria, and then also NWSL, you know, and, and what's happening with the national teams, you know, who's getting called in, transfers. It's a ton of information. And and trying to do that and raise a family, because I don't just read stuff. I have to dig in myself. And, and maybe I should just find someone else that's a really good analyst and, and read what they read. So then I'm quicker to digest what a team is trying to do. But I just don't operate that way. And, and so looking at, for instance, today I was studying um, Chelsea Bayern and, and looking at the, what happened in that first game, how they're different now. And it, that takes hours and hours and hours if you want to know what you're talking about and not regurgitate someone else's information. And maybe other people are way better at that than I am. And they, they are probably in terms of balancing what where you should spend your time, but I just don't operate like that. So maybe ultimately I'll go into scouting. I'll go into being an analyst for teams um, because I love it, you know, but it's a ton to be an expert on all these different, um, all these different leagues and teams ultimately. 
Yeah, no, look, I think, I think that shows, you know, in, in just how you're talking, obviously here, but, you know, on TV, I mean, I think that comes through that it's not a regurgitation, as you said, it's, it's actually kind of diving in. And I mean, that was, you know, you touched on a little bit. I mean, I wanted to ask you about kind of why we don't talk enough tactics in, in women's soccer. And I think it's, I don't know if it's maybe just still the growth of the game that to some degree, I think it's still that lack of information, maybe that there, there isn't, you know, even, and this is obviously excluding yourself, but the, there's these environments where people are just kind of thrown into go call a game or cover a game. And they're not, you know, they didn't watch 24 games of what the courage did last year. So, right. So they're they're, And this is not about anybody specific. I mean, but just in general terms that I, I feel like that because women's soccer can often be so secondary in terms of media companies, you know, priorities that, um, that there isn't that depth um, so I think certainly it comes through when, when you're, you know, you're talking about these things. Yeah, thank you. No, I think that's a really good point. Um, hold on, Blake. I'll be there in a second. I think that's a good point because I, I do think that is the case, but I also think it's a few other things. Um, and, and so it's our job to elevate the conversation, right? So to your point, if, if, if we can be experts, we should be experts. If I can take that time, and that is something that, that I, I really, I, I think it is important to take that responsibility on. And, and to elevate the conversation of what we're talking about these teams. But I also think, and people can get mad at me for saying this, but there's a lot of breakdowns. There's a lot of breakdowns on the field and just simple technical breakdowns. So I don't think a lot of times you can see the tactics evolve, maybe the way the coach plan, maybe they can't even implement uh, the next level of tactics because there are those breakdowns. So even just watching today, again, the, the Bayern-Chelsea matches, there's a lot of things that were very clear. And, and I could see them in, you know, the first 15 minutes. I could watch a women's game and, and to have to spend more time trying to digest what the ideas are. Does that make sense? And I just think because there are more breakdowns. So that is one thing that has to happen in the women's game or has to get short up, right, is, is that the technical breakdowns can occur. I think the decision-making, you know, has to go to that next level. So mm. and a lot of that has to do with setting up an environment where these players can play 10 months, 11 months out of the year, you know, where there's more consistency. So they're not thrown into a six-month season. Um, so those are all bigger picture things that we can dive into too. But ultimately I do think that is part of the reason that the tactical side of the game isn't discussed as much beyond the fact that a lot of these media companies only invest, you know, it, when something is brewing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think we've, you know, we've seen that obviously. Um, I, I know the, uh, the kiddos are, are running around. So I wanted to ask you a couple of, of quick things, maybe, um, I, don't, I don't know if they're rapid fire, but, but maybe, you know, I think a lot's unknown, you know, people value, obviously, you call in U.S. games quite often, and um, we don't know what the rest of the year looks like. I think it's fair to say we don't really know what the Olympics are going to be or look like, but um, early days of Latko Andonovsky era, which has been not a lot because of what's happening, but um, what are you looking forward to? What, what are some things that you maybe have your eye on whenever we actually, you know, see this team, even in a camp again, I guess? I, I, yeah, good, good point. Um, well, fingers crossed that it's sooner than later. And I just think what we're talking about is it, he is the one that will continue to take this game to the next level. You know, when, when you saw his teams play in Kansas City, when he went up to the rain, the way that he managed the group of players that he had at his disposal that was ever-changing because of injuries, um, he's flexible. 
And so when you talked about a co- talk about a coach that that really gets in the weeds with the details and the tactics, he's one of them. So I think that if we're talking about taking the women's game, you know, when when I was talking about it before, it was mostly club based. You know, when we talk about it on a national team level, because the U.S. team has always been the one to set the standard and always push the game and evolve it. I look at Vlaco and I think that he is the one that will take this team um, ultimately to to look like again and I don't want people to think I'm being derogatory towards a women's game at all but I just think he's the one that can make this team go to the next level where it resembles a more fine-tuned machine that that is very astute in the way that they break down opponents that that I think he'll do interesting things tactically I mean as much as he didn't want to change or he doesn't want to take away the spirit. That's what they always say of the U.S. women's national team. That's what sets them apart. You talk to every manager around the world in the World Cup. The one thing, the first thing they say is, is the mentality of USA. If we can match the mentality of U.S. So, so that is always going to be the basis for which that program is built. But I think Vlaka will bring in the nuance. And, and so I just am excited to see what, he, what him and, and uh, his assistant – put forth because I think it's something that maybe we haven't seen, you know, in the women's side and given this amount of time now for them to really hone in on, on what they want to have or the identity of what the U S team will be going forward without losing, you know, the, I would say the vertical play, the American mentality to hunt, you know? So I, I guess I'm excited as you are. I don't know what that will be ultimately. Um, Hopefully, hopefully, it's it's going to be, I would say, this is the one thing that was lacking in NWSL was just a more fine-tuned final third play, a more patient play, a more script, not, not scripted in the way you go here, I go there, but the counter movements, mm-hmm. the continuity of the way that those players move off of each other. I want to see, I want to see that in the women's game. And so I'm hoping that that's what they can bring ultimately. Yeah, probably something we could talk about uh, for, for many hours, but maybe I'll, I'll leave you with a, a quick one of, um, I'm curious, maybe, maybe I'll steal the idea. I don't know, but, um, what, what's, what are you looking for? Um, we've got maybe Olympics coming up. We've got euros after that 2023 world cup club. You know, I think there's a lot of hope for whatever a club world cup at some point I've heard enough about that without seeing it, but, um, what, what's something that you are anticipating looking forward to in the women's game that, you know, that, that you're looking forward to? I think the, the continued investment um, from the, by the big clubs in the women's game abroad. You know, I, I think that is something that is, is going to push this game to the next level. I do, because that means that the, the mother and fathers in, those, in local um, communities in those countries where they respect the men's game, where they, they live, eat, breathe it, when that respect starts um, trickling over to the women's side, I think it not only, you know, will change the game, the game of football for women, but I think it changes lives. And, and so that is the element that has me the most excited and is, that's almost, you know, more of a social revolution than even a football revolution. But uh, it, I think both will coincide and work really well to push this game to the next level. So I want to see that happen. I hope is, as much as I said, I think the NWSL is set to benefit from, from this break and play by COVID, if you will. Um, I, I really hope that 
it isn't the case that it derails the plans of these big clubs abroad because they started to pick up uh, the importance of the women's game and and buy and do it. So that if that happens, then I think NWSL is forced to respond. I think owners here, you know, take it. They're already taking it seriously, but it needs to go further. And we can agree to, you know, we can talk about on what levels, but um, it, it needs to continue to rise here. And I think competition is a good thing ultimately. Yeah, we've already seen some of that that point counterpoint for uh, player signings and and maybe some response, the allocation money, obviously last year that, that came into play. So, um, well, hopefully we'll hear you again on a on a broadcast soon. There's games soon, hopefully. Um, and and Ali Wagner, thanks for joining me on on kicking back. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, Jeff. Have you back. <laughs> You've been listening to Kickin' Back, a podcast by The Equalizer. If you like what you heard, and we certainly hope you did, please go ahead and rate and review this pod. The more you do that, the easier it is for other people to discover this show and hear compelling stories from some of the most interesting people in women's soccer. Keep an eye out for our next episode when we kick it with our latest guest. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late, and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, and our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com/keepstock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done.